Listen. Did you hear that? The ear is a remarkable part of our created body. The complex system that allows us to enjoy the sounds of life really is a gift from God. It's very difficult to imagine how these molecular springs could have arisen by chance. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. Because we don't have to think about hearing or physically strain and struggle to do so, most of us may take this ability for granted. But how are we able to pick up different sounds and frequencies? Was the ear masterfully designed by a creator, or did it come about through a series of random evolutionary mistakes? Tune in for the next 15 minutes as we hear about the incredible and complex hearing ear. Dr. Alan Gillen is professor of biology at Liberty University and co-author of the book Body by Design. He explains how there's more to the ear than just meets the eye. The ear itself can be really split into three major components, an external ear, a middle ear, and an inner ear. The external ear, what we normally see with our eyes, it collects and detects sound waves in the eardrum. And then the external ear extends uh, from the outside to a part that we call the tympanic membrane, which is also called the eardrum. And we find that once sound gets into the middle and then inner ear, it really provides two purposes for the body, hearing itself that is able to detect and interpret sound waves, but the ear also provides equilibrium, which informs the body of its position in space by monitoring gravity acceleration and rotation. So just how does it all work? Dr. David Menton is Associate Professor Emeritus at Washington University School of Medicine. He says the process begins with a sound wave. And that sound that comes in is going to go through air until it hits our eardrum. Eardrum looks like a little drum head. It's about three-tenths of an inch or maybe a little more, half an inch in diameter. And when that drum head vibrates from the sound pressure hitting the drum head, it is then conducted through bone. And that bone is in the middle ear, and there's really three of them. You've probably heard of them, the hammer and the anvil and the stirrup. They have nice Latin names, but those English names will suffice. And then from there, the sound goes to the inner ear, and there we hear basically underwater or in a liquid. So in reaching our brain, sound must go through air, bone, and essentially water or liquid. But wouldn't sound traveling through liquid be hard to hear? The problem with having to hear sound in the air that's converted over to basically water is we run into what's called an impedance mismatch. This is what that amounts to. If somebody were underwater, let's say your your child at the swimming pool is underwater, and you want to call to this child and speak to them, you can yell at the top of your lungs, but the child under the water will very likely not hear you. And the reason for this is because of the impedance mismatch between air and water. About 99.9% of the sound energy hitting the water will reflect off the water, and only one-tenth of one percent will actually penetrate the water. So the first problem that has to be solved in the ear is to somehow restore this impedance mismatch so we don't just simply have all of the sound lost when it reaches our inner ear. 
However, the perfect design of the creator takes care of this problem by magnifying the sound before it hits the liquid. ICR Museum curator Cindy Carlson, who holds degrees in biology and zoology, says sound is multiplied through the three bones in the middle ear. Together, these tiny bones are called ossicles, which just means tiny bones. These form a chain across the tympanic cavity, ending with the faceplate of the stapes. Remember, the stapes looks like a little stirrup. So it's like the bottom of the stirrup interfaces with the cochlea. Now, the cochlea is a shell-shaped organ with fluid inside it. So the bottom of the stapes, or the stirrup part, interfaces with the cochlea, and the movement of the three bones amplifies the sound about 22 times, which is important because the sound waves, once they hit the fluid, they don't go through fluid as well, and so it has to be multiplied. The pressure has to be multiplied. Now, let's take a look at what happens when sound goes through the fluid in the shell-shaped inner ear. Inside the cochlea is the true organ of hearing, which is called the organ of corti. And this is a group of cells, and it has thousands of tiny hair cells in this organ, which move with the vibrations. And those hair cells turn the vibrations into electrical impulses that send impulses up the cranial nerve up to your brain and then the brain interprets the sound and then you're hearing. And that's an amazing thing. When we understand the fabulous workings of the ear, it's not hard to realize that such a complex organ could not have accidentally arisen from evolutionary processes. Dr. Gillen says it's obvious that the ear was purposely designed and fashioned by the Creator. To me, the most interesting part of the ear is what we see in the inner ear, where we can see some of the embroidery, the fabric, the, if you will, cross-stitching and interwoven complexity that we see in the organ of corti. David talks about in the scripture of how we're fearfully and wonderfully made, how God has covered us in our mother's womb, and curiously wrought basically means to embroider, and we find some of that embroidery right in the organ of corti. The whole process is quite complex and really amazing. Uh, it's very difficult to imagine how these molecular springs and molecular hairs and motors could have arisen by chance. However, as Cindy Carlson tells us, those who believe in evolution ignore the evidence of design and find other ways to explain the formation of the ear. The evolutionists say that the ear is not too complex to have evolved. They say that all you need is a nerve connected to something that can vibrate. Remember, evolution is about changing over millions of years something that's very simple to something very complex. Mammals were supposed to have evolved from reptiles, so the reptile ear had to change into the mammal ear over millions of years of evolution. The difference between the reptile ear and the mammalian ear is that reptiles have only one bone, one of those little bones in their ear, and a jaw made up of several bones. Mammals have a single jaw bone with those three little ossicles in the ear that we've already talked about.
But even if the single bone in the reptilian ear evolved into the three bones needed for the mammalian ear, it still wouldn't be enough to create hearing for the mammal. There is not even an organ in the reptile that remotely resembles the organ of Corti. There's no organ in the current reptile that could feasibly change into the organ of Corti. And remember, too, that it's not just the ear and the jaw that have to change for a reptile to become a mammal. The other differences between these two types of animals is a new mode of reproduction, mammary glands, temperature regulation, hair, and a new way of breathing, that is, with the diaphragm. The evidence is greatly on the side of creation, both with the design and intricacy of the ear and the lack of evidence in the fossil record. Although there's no real evidence to support evolutionary claims of chance mutations forming the ear over millions of years, many people still cling to the false theory of evolution. And, as Dr. Gillen tells us, some secular scientists have even begun to criticize parts of the human body, including the ear, as being flawed designs. One of the growing trends that we see in the world of medicine today is called Darwinian medicine, that is, applying evolutionary principles of biology to medical practices. And many evolutionary biologists and Darwinists assert that the creator must have made some mistakes. If there is a, a God and creator, he must have made some mistakes because we see a lot of people who have ear infections. One of the reasons children suffer so commonly from otitis media has to do with a combination of the fact that the child's auditory tube in relationship to the throat is very horizontal. As we grow and develop, the creator has enabled the auditory tube or eustachian tube to become more vertical, and so it helps to drain the fluid out of the ear much more effectively. The other factor that makes children more susceptible to otitis media or these middle ear infections is the fact that their adenoids or tonsils are not fully developed. And so as time goes on, our adenoids and tonsils actually become more accustomed to the infections. Wouldn't this be considered a bad design? Well, Dr. Gillen says no and reminds us how everything was created perfect in the beginning and then later was ruined by sin. If we didn't have, first of all, our adenoids and tonsils, we would not be able to handle other infections that come in the body. And what I think has happened is that in the beginning, God created the immune system to interact with friendly bacteria. But since the Edenic curse, there has been both a decay in the bacteria themselves and the germs, and also for the tonsils and adenoids to lose their ability to handle it. There's no denying that the ear is a wonderfully complex organ created by an ever-loving and all-powerful creator. But why can't people see this truth? Dr. Menton says it's because they do not want to be accountable to God. Put yourself in the position of many, sadly, many evolutionists and many people at large in society. One thing they know for sure, there is no God. There is no creator. Now, if you can tolerate the terror 
of putting yourself into that position just briefly. Ask yourself, how would you explain the origin of the ear and the eye? All that's left once we deny a creator is nature does these things left to itself. We are so blinded since the fall into sin. There but for the grace of God, go we. This is why Romans chapter 1 says, it's not that we don't know the truth. We know full well there's a creator God. We suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And the reason we suppress it is because if we ever accept it, if we ever actually do appreciate that there's a creator of the ear and a creator of the eye, then we know that creator hears and sees us and we know we are accountable to him. And how can one face up to being accountable to a creator God if you don't have a savior? But I just thank the Lord that through his word and the Holy Spirit, he's changed my heart and heart to believe with an absolute confidence that he is creator, but most important of all, he's savior. He's our savior. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.